The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Um, Our series is called See What God Has Done. It's meant to show us, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, show us the broad storyline of the Bible. Really asking that question, what is the Bible about? What does it teach us? What is in there? And also how we participate in this story. So what is the story of God and how do we participate in it? And this week we look at participating or engaging in God's mission. That the Bible does talk about the mission of God. And, and if we were talking about the story of the Bible without getting to this point, we would seriously neglect uh, a huge thread that works through all of God's word. And there are so many great books on this topic I don't know if you've noticed on, the, on our media page where you can listen to all the sermons um, in, our, in our service, there's a book list that I have for every week that I've used to help kind of prepare for these, these messages and for my own personal study and, and ones that I've listed on there that I think would be really valuable to you. So not everything is be able to be said uh, this morning as I was working through all these books and all the great things to be said about God's mission. I mean, this would be like a, a, an hour-long talk. And so I love you too much for that. Um, but there's some great books on there. I encourage you to, to read through those and, and maybe even pick up one or two uh, for your own personal uh, study. Well, a lot has changed uh, in me in the last 14 years. Uh, 14 years ago, uh, this summer, I became a Christian. It's when the first time that I actually trusted Christ and I, I looked at my own life and saw that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for me, and I had, had really yet to acknowledge that before him and trust him as my personal Savior. And so 14 years ago, that's when that happened, and, and so much changed. Uh, some deliberate things, some things I changed deliberately, and some things passively changed in my life. Just by being a different person and feeling differently and, and encountering the world differently, things changed. Um, some things, like I quickly flushed uh, a bunch of things down the toilet. Um, I'll, I'll leave that up to your imagination, uh, what that, what that might have been. I got a new Bible and, and, and got my name embroidered on the front of it. I mean, you're not a real Christian until you do that. And, um, and I bought a Newsboys CD and got a boombox, you know, a uh, boombox at Walmart and just played it just on loop over and over again. And, and I really didn't know much more than that. Like, what, do I, what does a Christian do? What does it mean to be a Christian? I hadn't really figured it out. I just knew that I was blown away that a God who was good and merciful and loving and perfect and glorious and majestic and, and everything that God is, the creator of all that there is, that he would actually look upon me with favor and acceptance and love. That just, it, it blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe it. It really um, confused me. But I knew that if that were true, then I would give my life to that kind of God. And, and I did. Um, I knew what it meant to be a Christian, to really at my core feel that change of identity, to know that I was accepted and loved by a loving God, that, that I ran from Jesus and he had pursued me. So I knew what it was to be a Christian, but I didn't know what it was to be a Christian. Does that make sense? I didn't know, what do I do now? What is it that I'm supposed to engage in? What do I do? And so I observed people, and I, I asked questions, and I, I tried to figure out, what do I do? How do I take that step? And I remember seeing a person when, around this time when I started going to church a little bit more intentionally and seeing what people did. And I saw people during a time where there was a missionary that came forward and talked about a, a, a trip that he was going on. And he was recruiting people to give financially and, and even to go on the trip. And I remember seeing someone writing a check, and I kind of glanced over, and it was a pretty good amount. Uh, it, it, was a, it's a, it was a good amount then. It's still a good amount now as I remember that number. And, and, I, and I turned over. I said, 
well, why did you why did you give so much money to that missionary? And, and they simply just turned to me and said, so that I don't have to go on the trip. And uh, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, now, now I thought, this is really great that you're being like really generous. And I, I thought to myself, even walked away from that. It's like, that's a lot of money. They're being generous. But something still is a little odd about that. I, I, something is missing. Uh, true story. And then I... You know, then I asked older Christians and things like that, what is God's will for my life? What do I do? What is that one thing that God wants me to do in this life that is just the thing that I was created for? And I found and still have found that to find that answer is like getting a picture of Bigfoot while riding a unicorn or something. It's like, this is not going to happen. There isn't that, that one magical thing that just right when you find out whether it's a job or a person or whatever, that, that this is a thing that you've been holding out for. Maybe you're even in that place where you're struggling. What is God's will for my life? What do I do? And that answer is not coming as quickly as you might like. And I think Christians have struggled with this. What do I do? As long as there have been Christians. And the book of Acts describes the, the work of Christians, the work of the first Christians, the acts of the, the apostles of Jesus. R- Jesus rose from the dead and he empowered them <clears throat> Uh, to be sent out into the world to tell people all that he had taught them and all that they had learned from him. And I want to I read for you, I'll have it on the, on the screen, Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11. And um, talking about this, this initial conversation that Jesus had after he rose from the dead with many of his disciples, uh, which is really interesting. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking in, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These disciples, looking at this passage, think about this. These disciples saw Jesus just killed. They saw him just murdered and now alive. And imagine how eager they were to hear, Jesus, what is your next step? What is the next thing you're going to do? I mean, right? I mean, what if this? They, they, they put their whole life, all their emotion, all their expectation, all their hope is placed on this man. He dies, and they don't understand why. He raises from the dead, and they're probably thinking, what now? Are you going to fight the bad guys? Are you finally going to bring the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to defeat all of our enemies? Are you going to bring in just this powerhouse of, of, of existence that we will join you in? And he says, No. But you will be my witnesses. And then he just leaves. Jesus says, it's not your business, but you'll be my witnesses in this city, in your country, and in the whole world. And I imagine I would speculate what they might be thinking. Wait, we're not done? Like, Jesus, you just rose from the dead. How are we not done? This is the way you should end it, Jesus. This is the way you finish it all. If you're looking for a curtain call, now is not the time. Like, you just did the big thing. Let's, Let's wrap it up. 
And then he's taken, he's lifted into heaven, and the angels appear to them as they're looking up in their confusion, their amazement, their, their wonder, whatever. And the angels say, what are you doing? He's left, but he has returned. Now go and do what he has said. Then later as they're praying, days later, they go and they pray about what just happened. And the promised Holy Spirit is sent to them, fills them, and empowers them for the ministry that God has called them to. And this empowering and filling of the Holy Spirit to engage in God's mission is something that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is called to. The same enlistment, the same enlisting or the same mission, the same commissioning that is given to them is given to all people who love, know, and trust in Jesus. These words from Christ cause his followers to shift their thinking from Jesus is alive, is it over, can we go home, to how do we engage in God's mission? And they were thinking, how do we wrap this up? What will Jesus do now? How are we done? Can we finally rest? And the opposite is what's happening. He is sending them out to be on mission with him in the same mission that he came for. God's mission is big. And it, he invites us into it. If you followed along in this series, you would see that God's mission doesn't begin in the book of Acts, as we read. It doesn't begin with what did the apostles and disciples do, but it begins in the book of Genesis, where we see that God's plan to restore a broken people in a broken world begins. I mentioned before that in Genesis 3, the question is being asked, it's being implied, how will God restore all that has been broken after the fall? And then the rest of the Bible is God's promise keeping for fulfilling that plan. And when we understand that our lives and, and every day, the mundane things, even the spectacular things in our life are part of the greater story of God's creation-wide redemption, and we embrace that, then we are free to participate in that with joy and great expectation. Our survey of the Bible, thinking about what is the Bible about, it would be incomplete if we did not observe the mission of God that we were called to as his people to engage in. And I want you to think of this. If you know, love, and trust in Jesus, he has sent you and is is continually sending you on mission. This may be a new concept for you. And it was for me in 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 a huge way just over the past four years, a new concept for me that this is what God is doing in me, that he is filling me, empowering me, loving me, and sending me out to be his witness wherever I go. And maturity, I believe, maturity and understanding of what God's story is all about in the Bible will lead us to a mature understanding of our participation in that story. The more we know about Christ, his work, God's work, uh, through all of creation-wide redemption story, the more we know about that, the more we will know how he is sending us. And he's always been sending. And I want to walk through 1 Peter chapter 2 with you. I want to answer these questions. What does it mean to be people who love Jesus and are engaged in God's mission? And what I love about this is before the Bible says what we should do, it, it often tells us why we should do. And this is such a great point to realize. I want you to understand the, the order. Notice the importance of the order in verse 9 in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his marvelous light. Notice the difference between a a works-based religion or legalistic kind of religion that says, do this so that you might become this. Do right to become right with God. And often we think like that in a lot of ways. The reason why we do things for God is so that he would look at us with favor. Do so that God will do for you. Do so that God would look at you and, and love you and like you and have favor for you and forgive you. But a biblical and a gospel-based Christianity says you are so that you might do. You are loved so that you would love. You are forgiven so that you might be forgiven. You are given a new identity and empowered with the love of God so that you would do out of a grace-motivated ambition, not in order to receive a wage or reward from God. Our mission, our work and effort to participate in what God is doing is motivated by the fact that we have forgiveness despite our weaknesses, despite our failures. And and so let's ask ourselves, how do you and I live as people sent on God's mission? Because that's what this, this week is all about. How do we live as people sent on God's mission? Our passage implies a few applications. I'm going to go through these, and it's not going to be exhaustive. It's not going to tell you everything there is to know about God's mission and our participation in it, but things that I see here. And the first one is this, love a church. The life of Christ is meant to be embodied in a community. And this is the language in verse 9, that Christ is gathering people from all over the world, otherwise would have no reason to spend time together at all. And he empowers them to love one another, and they create a community that people from the outside are drawn into. They're drawn to because of the love and culture that is created within that community. Look at who is gathered here. I mean, just if you look around the room, married, single, divorced, Blue collar, white collar, no collar. You know, have kids, trying to have kids, don't have kids, don't want to have kids. I mean, we see all of those people. And shortly after these people were sent on mission in Acts chapter 1, they are sent. Christ says, he says, I'm sending you out. And in Acts chapter 2, we see this famous passage in verse 42 to 47. And and I'll read that. I don't want you to turn to it, but just listen to these words in 2. Where am I? 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People are drawn into this community that was in love with one another, that was committed to one another. And I say here in this point, I say love a church. And I don't say love the church and I say this simply to make a distinction because, of course, loving the church, loving the the corporate church, the worldwide church, all all of the churches in our city and in the world who are loving Christ and teaching a grace centered gospel and pursuing Him, we ought to love that church and see it broaden and expand for Jesus' glory. We should invest in that. The Christian church 
the larger Christian church, all of God's people, this is a mark of a healthy, a healthy local church, is to love the larger church and to see unity there. But it's a healthy and important mark of a local church to see its participants loving that community, loving that local body. And if we want to see the larger church, all of God's people healthy, we need to see the local church healthy. And that's what we see here as God's people began to gather, that they they shared things together, that they were committed to one another. And their community that they created through the love and power of Jesus Christ was so attractive, so infectious, that non-Christians and people from the outside were looking in and saying, that is good. I don't know what it's about, but I want to be a part of it. It's life-giving. It's gracious and generous. It's impartial and, and wonderful. It had this attraction about it. that people wanted to be around. And this is what Jesus is building. This is what he is gathering. And he began this with a few people and started to gather a community. And then his love indwelt them and they gathered more. And it says their numbers were increasing. It says thousands were saved even in a day. People were breaking down the door saying, how can we be a part of this? The Spirit was working in a huge way through the health and commitment of the local community. So I start with this because it's so important. As we think, I'm, I'm thinking through, what does it mean to be God's people on mission? Understanding our identity as a, as a community, as a people who are committed to one another has a huge part in that. As we rely on one another, as we are uh, fed from one another and accountable to one another, as we are encouraged from one another, as we have this mutual respect and love for each other, God will do amazing things through that. And the people of God have always had a corporate identity. Even before the early church, God's people, the Israelites, always had a corporate identity. In Christ, we see that we are a living stone. Think about that wonderful imagery that we read in 1 Peter. He says, you are a living stone. God sees sees each of us as an essential building block for the body of Christ. You're a stone. You're a stone. You're a stone. You trust in Jesus, you are a stone, a living stone that is meant to be built up. You're building up and building into one another. And and it's built up into this edifice, this spiritual edifice that that is glorifying to God and encouraging to those who are part of it. Loving a church means loving people because the church is people. It's It's not the building, it's not the corporation, it's loving the people that are gathered. Loving people means investing in people, knowing people, learning their names, learning their stories. Or, I don't, I'm not going to write this in stone, but there's a reason why. Uh, now, if you want to know someone's name, I'm not going to do a church bulletin. Go up and ask them. That's super mean. Sorry. Let me change that. Okay. No. If you want to know someone's name, like, go up and ask them. If you want to know their kid's name, go ask them. Like, get to know them. If you want to know where someone lives, I mean, trail them home after church. Like, just, like, tail them, you know? I mean, if you want, just pursue people. <clears throat> Be, be the loving friend that you are looking for in a community. Now, we may do a church bulletin. I'm not saying that's exactly the reason why we're not doing it. Um, part of it is because I have really bad administrative skills, and we're starting to get that in order. Uh, now, I want living on mission as a church is, is really fun, isn't it? It, it's, it can be very fun. 
taking ownership of the health of a community and the health of people around you is, is a joy-filled filled privilege and responsibility. If you're new with us, you, you, maybe you don't know, but you'll find out eventually, because I, I mention it often, in that we are still really a new church. I mean, just this last October, we celebrated our, our second anniversary uh, from our church plant, from our public launch. And I remember there was a time when everyone at Holy Cross was a, a personal acquaintance of myself. And I can't tell you how awesome it was when that changed. And a fun story is I actually went into a, a local printer. I'll be very discreet because this person's uh, still a part of our church and actually here. I, I went to a local printer to pick up a printing, some flyers that we made for our church and had Holy Cross all over it. And there were flyers maybe for an Easter or a Christmas Eve service, something like that. And I went to pick them up. And when I went to pick them up, this, this girl at the counter looked back at me and says, Oh, Holy Cross Church, that's my church. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> I don't know you. You don't go here. And I actually, like, I don't know, it like instantly felt like super defensive and then super like excited. And I realized at that point, like, our church is, is changing, that, that, that our community, that God is forming a community that people are loving and being a part of. And it was really exciting to see. Uh, and it's, it's fun. It's, I mean, how many of you, I mean, just a, a kind of a spontaneous show of hands, like, are here because someone other than myself invited you to church? That's awesome. I mean, I mean, that's probably, I mean, seriously, that's, you're here because someone loves you. And, and so I just want to say, great job. I want to say great job to you for coming. And I want to say great job for you for who invited, who actually engaged in that mission to invite, to go out beyond yourself, to, to know people, to love people, to invite them into your life and to share your life with them. Good job. I want you to feel like you're doing a good job for being on mission. And it doesn't end there, but it's such an important part of God's mission. To love a community. God's people on mission see themselves as, as individuals, as, as the work of God changing them personally, but also as a people be- belonging to the rich, gospel-moded community with others. Even the Apostle Paul, who was a, a church planter and pastor, he would go and plant churches, and even when he did that, sometimes he would spend years in that community where he was planting a church, investing in that church, living with them, knowing them, building relationships, not just, <clears throat> not just planning it and moving on, but he loved that community. If Holy Cross is your church, the people that God has called you to build into and to be encouraged by and to pour into, you may be thinking, well, what's my next step? How do I do that? How do I engage in this mission with this church? And the examples could be countless. I mean, there, there may be many. And, and these examples I'll give might not be earth-shattering, but they're, they're a good next step. Um, we, you know, serving on a team. Saying, where is there a need? There's a ton of needs. Every single area of our church and every single team that we've organized has needs for people to serve and to say, how can I be available to build up, to help, to serve the church? To, to get into a life group, to, to know people for the purpose of just knowing people in the church and growing in your faith with others. To go to a new members class we have in, in May. We do this every, every once in a while, every few months. Going to a membership class to learn about who we are and, and being a part of that. To filling out a connect card at the visitor information table out in the welcome area. Just saying, yeah, I, here I am. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I want, I want to know about being a part of a community that Jesus is shaping. And maybe the next step for you might not be any of those things. Maybe it's just like, I'm just going to, I'm going to get to know someone's name that is 
not my age, that is different than me, that is knows someone's, their name and their story. And we see that this is happening through the church and it's very effective. Moving on, we see that also in our passage, an implication of what it means to be God's people on mission is to be a missionary. Now, when I say missionary, missionary you don't automatically think like <clears throat> some faraway land, cross-cultural engagement. It may mean that. And, it, and I know it does mean that for, for many of you, and praise the Lord for that. But it doesn't only mean that. The scope of God's mission for his people is, is broader than that, and also even narrower than that. Every sphere of our lives is a mission field. Our passage anticipates that when Christians pursue Christ, when they invest in community and choose to follow Jesus and bear their cross and, and <clears throat> repent of sins and confess him, when Christians do that, they will encounter opposition. And our passage and today and, and many other passages anticipates it and even guarantees it, that this will happen, that there will be this opposition. And in our passage it says, when they speak against you as evildoers. It's not hard to imagine, right? That Christians, when living out their faith, will be spoke against as evildoers. An adversary, I want you to think about this, an adversary is a person who stands against you, who opposes you, who persecutes you, and stands against you in opposition. And I want to ask this question, what does our passage say about how we are to treat people who stand in opposition to us? If you're a Christian, how does this passage, what does it say? Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 12. When, it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Instead of being an adversary towards those who oppose us, we are called to be a missionary. Okay, if you don't like me, then I don't like you. You know what? Too often that's the posture that Christians take in our culture, in our world, and people who don't know, love, or care about Jesus. Well, if you don't, if you don't love them, then, then I don't have anything to do with you. But our passage says, no, don't do that. That's the worst thing you could do. Instead of seeing them as an adversary, be a missionary. We are not given the gospel to be removed from the world, but to be sent into the world as God's co-workers, armed with the gospel of grace and empowered by his spirit. It is meant to permeate every sphere, every area of society where we find people who don't know Jesus, care about Jesus, love or worship him, and to live among them in a way that honors Jesus. Proclaiming with love and truth the reason for our hope. Here's a quote from this book I've been, that I've read this last year called The Drama of Scripture by Michael Goheen. And he says this, salvation, salvation is not an escape from creational life into spiritual existence. It is the restoration of God's rule over all of creation and all of human life. We are given the grace and mercy of Christ. We are given forgiveness and salvation, relationship with Jesus, not so that we can be removed from society but so that we can be thrown back in and engage with it, to redeem it, and to love it, to permeate all of society so that Jesus is known. To think like a missionary is to understand that 
the people of God have been are called to live in and around the world. Here's an illustration I came across this week that was helpful. It says, if the gospel is the seed of God's powerful work in our lives and in the world, then the culture is the soil in which it is planted. Therefore, we, we seek to love people in our culture by understanding, preparing that soil, understanding the soil, that culture, examining it with a hope to understand so that Jesus could be most effectively and persuasively and winsomely introduced. A church and people that are on mission seek to understand and love people that are different from themselves. This is, what, this is the mindset, kind of the heart set of a, of a person who wants to engage in God's mission. We are thinking about how can I understand, not just critique, but understand people who are different from me. If you were to think of like a missionary in your context, what would be different? What would you start doing differently? What would you change? What would you continue to do? If you were to think like a missionary who who desires to not be an adversary, but to actually love, understand, pursue, and engage with people that are different from you, what would be different? This is the shift in our mindset that God calls us to. And you can do this, young, old, whatever stage in life you're in, you can engage in God's mission in this way. What would it mean? Would it mean just, you know, I'm going to frequent the same places that I shop, the same coffee shops, the same grocery stores, the same, the same <clears throat> stores. I'm going to go there. I'm going to take the same path in my walk or drive to work so that I can encounter the same people every week. I'm going to get to know their names, their stories, their, their faces, their lives. And this can be just super painful. This can be exhausting. Janae and I have, have purpose to do this. We've engaged in this in some ways in our community. But honestly, through discouragement, through just being tired with it, I mean, we, we kind of put that on the back burner and slowed down a little bit because when we, we found that when we spent time with some of our neighbors, like, we just really didn't like them. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that was really brutal. Let's never have them over again. <clears throat> and, and so <clears throat> this isn't that, well, we're going to engage with our neighbors and they're going to see that we're Christians and they're going to... They're going to buy our kids Christmas presents, and we're going to buy their kids Christmas presents, and everybody's going to worship God together, and our church is just going to grow. And then you realize, this is messy. It doesn't happen that way. This is painful. And this is exactly, this is not a surprise. This is no surprise to the mission of God and what he's called us to, because the same way that they are opposing it is the same way, if we are honest, that we have opposed Christ in our own lives. Why would we expect anybody to be any different? We have rebelled, we have neglected, we have pursued our own desires. Why would anybody be any different? But we do it because we are called to do this. We are called to engage in this, and we don't do it alone. And lastly, this is one of the matters that matters most of all, and, and, and if, this does, if we don't get this, then really none of the other points uh, matter at all. Lastly, to rely on Jesus. What does it mean to be on mission? Rely on Jesus. Because as I mentioned those things, I mean, so often we can think about, okay, God's called me to do this, I've got to do these things, I've got to do these things, and we put this burden on our shoulder. And if we fail, and if people don't come to church, and if we don't enjoy our neighbors, we're just doing a horrible job, we're a horrible missionary in our community, and, and we're just, we just have royally ruined everything. But I want you to remember this, that we are 
not starting a new mission. This isn't anything groundbreaking. We are joining Jesus in a mission that has been around since all of existence. Holy Cross exists because of Jesus and not because anything that we're doing to be brand new, to be hip, to be trendy. I mean, I got my chuckas on this morning, but that's the, that's the trendiest thing I do. And, and we're not doing something, hey, let's do something new. We're not saying, let's do something new. We're saying, let's do something more. Let's do more of something. Let's do more of what God has called us to do. Let's do more of joining God's desire to draw people to himself by creating a community that loves Jesus, that pursues Jesus, that loves our community and our city. Let's do more of that. And it starts with our hearts. It starts with receiving the gospel that we want to preach to others, to trust in him, to rely on him. We're not called to do that which Christ has not promised to complete. Do you believe that? You are not called to engage in anything that Jesus hasn't already promised to complete. This work doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. As living stones, we are built up as a spiritual building that our passage says we rest on the chief cornerstone. That even though he was discarded, he is the chief cornerstone upon which everything rests. He is alive, he is well, he is powerful, and he is sending us. And he says, I am with you to the ends of the age. How do we rely on Jesus? How do we, what does it look like to rely on Jesus? I want to break down this final point in just a couple things. What does it look like then in our daily life to rely on him as a missionary? And the first thing one is to focus on faithfulness, not success. The nature of grace is it's intrusive, it's disturbing. We wrestle with it. We are people who are prone to control, to hold on to, to control our lives so that we can be comfortable to protect and manufacture our world around us so that things would not be troubling. The mission of God confronts the Pharisee in all of us that believes that we must get right with God, be right with God, in order to be pleased by God. The gospel frees us from this. It frees us from this nervous anxiety that we have to get it right, to close the deal, to be that perfect missionary, to say when we encounter somebody and have a a, a God moment or whatever, to be free to say, I may get this wrong. I I may not do this perfectly. Their life may not be changed right before my eyes, and that is okay. And my heart, honestly, my heart doesn't naturally embrace the gospel. I don't know if that's a, a surprise to you. It shouldn't be a surprise to you. I am, I'm preaching these very things to myself as I am sharing them with you. My heart naturally wants to control. It naturally wants to fight. It naturally wants to not be wrong. It naturally doesn't want to ever make a mistake in my own life and in every area, but also in this area. I want to be effective. I want people's lives to be changed That's the only reason I got into this business. Business. I wanted people to know what I knew. And if they're not knowing it, then I must really, I just must be failing as a pastor. Maybe you feel that way. I relate to you. But it doesn't rely on me. It doesn't rely on you. It relies on Jesus. And when we change that focus of, okay, I'm not, maybe God's not calling me to be a successful Christian. Maybe he's calling me to be a faithful Christian. To be faithful, to examine my heart, to, to, 
to analyze and to see the areas of my life where there is sin that I need to repent of, to trust in Him, to allow the gospel to really feed me and nourish me, nurture me, to give me, uh, to give me the energy I need to get through my day, to be faithful to pursue Him, to take captive all my thoughts and emotions and, and ideas and dreams, to bring everything to Him, to worship Him, to be courageous with His courage to go out into the world that He's called me to, to be a witness to, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, he's going to go with me. Maybe he is going to be faithful to his promise to not leave me alone. We can't engage faithfully in God's mission without God's mission reaching our hearts. Without it really indwelling in us and changing us and teaching us, preaching to us every day. A, 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 a successful Christian is a, is a person who is focused on, on him or herself. Constantly feeling like they're underperforming constantly feeling like they're over-sinning, constantly feeling like they're not doing what they should do. But a faithful Christian is focused on Jesus, secure in His love, pursuing Him with a grace-motivated energy, empowered by His grace to love others. It's easy to want to do those big things for God, I mean, just to really knock it out of the park. God, what's that one act of service that you've called me to that I can just... I really want to serve, and I want to do something really big. And maybe God will provide something like that, that you are called to be a part of something that will really impact our society in a huge way. But that's unlikely. (laughs) And what he's called us to be is to be faithful, to kind of bloom where we're planted, to to be a good steward of the, the resources, the time, the work, the opportunities that we have before us right now. And you know what happens? When we are faithful with that, you know what happens? Jesus actually gives us more. He gives us more and more and more. But he doesn't give us more if we're not faithful with what we have. So if you want to do something, serve in a big way for Jesus, then be faithful to what he's given you right now. Your family, your, your work, your attitudes the people that are around you, who is in your sphere right now, who is in your soil that you interact with every day, those are the people that he has sent you to, to be a witness to. And when we live this way, I think we wake up in the morning with less on our shoulders. We have this burden that's taken off of us. and say, okay, it's not about me. I can enjoy my life. I can enjoy my day and, and leave it up to Jesus and pursue him with joy. And you know what happens when we do that? People actually see it. They can tell when we are trying to really stress through, like getting it right. And that's not attractive. It's really not. What is attractive is people who are content and secure in the love of Christ and then operate out of that love. And that's where we want to be. Another thing we do to rely on Jesus is, to, is this. and It's confess, repent, celebrate, and repeat. I mean, this is like, Shampoo, condition, rinse, repeat. I mean, this is like getting in this habit, getting in this rhythm in our life. What does it look like to rely on Jesus? As we engage as missionaries in our community, even as abroad, our passage tells us to not see the world as an adversary, but actually points our attention to some other danger. He says, you know, the culture is not the danger. The danger rests in your own heart, in your own flesh, that that, that wages war against your soul. If you think that something can destroy you, it's not the culture. The culture's not the problem. The culture, though the world's not going to hell in a handbasket because of the culture. It's going, people go to hell because of sin, 
And that sin influences our hearts every day and tempts us every single day. And so Peter is saying, you're going to go out and you're going to see some things that are really disturbing to you. But guess what? Love them and actually be more critical of the sin that's going on in your own heart so that you could be presented to Christ as a living sacrifice, blameless, as a spiritual stone that is praising Jesus in all that you do. And here it says, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Elsewhere, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, make no provision for the flesh. People who have a mindset of being on God's mission have a corresponding view of God's word. They say, God's word, your word is authoritative for my life to teach me, to instruct me. Therefore, we come to his word with our hearts open and say, will you search my heart, uncover it and reveal any sin that is within me so that I can confess of it, so that I can repent of it, so that I can celebrate your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and I can wake up the next day and do it all over again. We need to be honest about what God is teaching us, about who we are. We are not the answer. We are not the answer that the world has been waiting for to make it right. That is Jesus, and everything rests on him, and we participate in that. Humble, as broken people. And we need to get in the habit of doing that. And lastly, we need to pray. Prayer is just as important as, you know, as we put on the armor of God, prayer is just as important as a piece of the armor that is faith and righteousness and truth. We need to pray for protection, for courage, for wisdom, for strength, for discernment to engage in what God's called us to engage in. And I'm actually shocked at, as I search through this how many times the word war is used in the New Testament and how many times that word is used to describe not a battle of, of people, but the battle that is going on inside of our hearts. And we shouldn't see the, the temptation any less than that. It is a war. And... and And Satan wants to kill us. He wants to destroy us. He doesn't want us to love Jesus. And he doesn't want anybody to love Jesus. And so there's a battle going on. And prayer, as John Piper says, and I love what he says, he says, prayer is the walkie-talkie of the church on the battlefield of the world in service to God's word. Seems, I don't know, it seemed a little cheesy for John Piper, but it's the walkie-talkie. It is, this, it is this correspondence that we have with God. And it's not just a one-way thing. It's not just a thing. It's a way that we can, can communicate with our commander-in-chief who is telling us where to go, how to go, and how to have comfort in our going. We should pray for others. We should pray for people that we are called to minister to, people in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. Think about that person right now that, whose lifestyle you don't like. Do you pray for that person? How often do you pray for that person? A person who is a missionary, who is on mission, called as God's people to be on mission, is a person who understands that, that nothing can change that person's heart but the power and love of Jesus Christ. Not me convincing them, not me persuading them, not me doing anything. And so we pray because we love them. And I need to do this more. Do you pray to God to work in your context? And so as we walk through our world, our homes, our workplace, our neighborhoods, I I want our heart to be broken. I want our hearts to be humble, realizing that God has has called us to engage in this mission with him. I, I want our hearts to be broken because we see 
parts of our culture, large or small, where there is no worship or honor of Jesus going on. And that should really break our hearts. It should make us sad. Like Jesus felt when he came upon Jerusalem and he looked upon Jerusalem and he wept. Not because he hated them and because his world was kind of being destroyed, but he he wept because his heart broke because they were sheep without a shepherd. They didn't know or worship or care for the love and grace of God. And it broke his heart. And that is the heart that we should have for our world. And then we should pray that God would give you and us as a church and you individually the opportunity to engage in that, engage in that mission in every point so that people can be drawn to Christ. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.